A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome back to the moments that made me with me, Roxy Nafusi. I actually can't tell you how much I've been looking forward to today's chat. This week, I have the gorgeous Ashley James joining me. Ashley is a presenter, DJ, empowerment coach, and mama to be. It is safe to say that I am obsessed with watching her Instagram stories. She has such authenticity and realness in her posts, and I love her constant openness and honesty. So I know today's episode is going to be a really good one. Ashley, thank you so much for doing this with me. No, thank you. And thanks for such a lovely introduction. I need to take you with me when I socialize. (laughs) I keep, I actually keep showing um, Wade your stories because I'm just like, you are so good at talking to camera. Oh, thank you. You just have, you are such a natural. I don't understand. Like, it's incredible. And I just think you have such an ability to you just have no like armor on when you speak to people I don't know if that makes sense just it feels so like I'm just like there with you yeah do you know what it is I think it's because I spent so much of my teenage years and 20s kind of feeling like I had to pretend to be someone else or you know I had so many probably about 50 armors on (laughs) that once I started to work on myself and strip them down I really I think now I just I just feel like I don't want to put up any fronts anymore. It's exhausting. And also, like, you can't please anyone anyway. So when you're trying to please people and they still don't like you, it's even more upsetting than if you're just yourself. (laughs) It's so true. I definitely think it's it's still something I'm working on in terms of the Instagram stuff, for sure. So I'm definitely looking at you for inspiration in that area. That's nice to hear. I think as well, it's because when you're authentic, you kind of build a more like-minded community, which you do as well. So I'm sure you have it. And then you kind of feel like you're talking to friends in a way. (laughs) How are you feeling? Um, Do you know what? I feel really positive, which is surprising with the year that we're in and obviously the hormones and changes that have happened in the last um, year. So um, just for context to anyone listening that doesn't know, (laughs) I basically this time last year, I was actually not only single, but I had lost my passport in Ibiza because I'd gone there to chase some DJ um, and it was a nightmare and my life was a mess. And I remember I was listening every day to... um, like really positive affirmations and, um, you know, like Tony Robbins, all these like amazing people thinking like, okay, I'm listening, but is this going to make a difference? And will I ever stop chasing fuck boys? Excuse me for the language. But I was just like, and, and everyone kept saying, but you'll meet someone when you really learn to love yourself. And I was like, I am not accepting that. I have done more work on myself than anyone else that I know. So um, yeah, it's just funny that, um, a year later, we're in the middle of a global pandemic. There are no DJ gigs and I'm having a baby with an incredible guy. So, um, yeah, I feel like despite all the madness, I'm kind of just like enjoying the bubble. And I think I'm learning every day to try and like count the blessings rather than think of all the things that are going wrong. I love that. And how like it is crazy I always think looking back at a year and the difference that one year can make is just it's kind it's firstly it's absolutely mad that your life can look like two polar opposites in the space of a year but also I think it's so exciting because you see how 
quickly life can change and evolve and grow and so you kind of just go oh my god you just never know what's ahead of you and I think that's so exhilarating yeah and I I, what I love about it is it works obviously we all strive for happiness but I feel like life is naturally a roller coaster because even when we think we've got it all together some curveball will get thrown at us (laughs) like a global (laughs) pandemic or you know there's so many things like breakups whether that's with friendships or relationships or whatever it might be and a lot of it's out of our control so I feel like it's all about kind of learning to ride the waves and trying to let things bother you less but also know that if life can change so quickly in a year you know that the bad times aren't going to be permanent and I think there's like a lot of strength in remembering that when you are going through the bad times it's so true I always say to people I'm like when you're sad you never think you'll be happy again but then also when you're happy you never think you'll be sad again and I think it's just about like learning that everything is transient and when you are happy building your strength so that when challenging days come you can overcome them quicker and then when you're feeling sad just remembering that it really never ever lasts forever yeah it's so true there's always an up um so let's get into your first defining moment I'd say biggest defining moments was actually probably in 2012 starting um a show called Made in Chelsea and I think it was so defining because it was something that I thought would be such a life changer that in that it would bring me everything I'd ever hoped for in terms of positivity and money and fame and all the things that I thought would make me happy um and it kind of I wouldn't say had the opposite effect because I'm not going to solely blame that show for like the pit like the kind of period of darkness that I entered into but um yeah it definitely made me realize that a lot of the things we think will make us happy definitely don't and I suppose it was like the beginning of my journey to self-love I love okay so what before you went on the show what were you thinking that you were going to get that would make you happy so um basically just before I um was invited to join Maiden Chelsea I'd quit my job so I was 25 years old I'd got into a real funk so I graduated from university and I, I think like when we graduate we are kind of filled with this wonderful optimism that the world's at our feet and we can be anything and do anything and I think that's also quite scary when you're not quite sure what it is you want to do but also when you go into the real world and you know you're not really earning very much money especially if you're in London which is so expensive as I'm sure a lot of cities and I found it really frustrating being a graduate or a new graduate because I found that I was so much more ambitious than most of the people in the office, but I was kind of on the lowest salary and trusted the least. So I, <laughs> I, and I, I feel like a lot of people get that because, you know, you have that kind of like, yeah, I'm going to change the world in five years. I'll be a CEO. And you kind of come in and you're prepared to work the long hours and do everything else. Whereas everyone else is kind of, you know, maybe a little bit tired, not everyone, but that was yeah, my experience. Yeah. And when I got to 25, it sounds so silly, but I went on this holiday with my friends and it's the first time that I'd like really had fun since university. And I think I got into a sort of negative mindset that adulthood equaled not quite being happy, but just paying the bills and, oh, well, this is life now. And it was when I went on that holiday and I kind of met other people that I was like, oh my God, like you don't have to be miserable as an adult who knew. <laughs> and, and so um, I saved like £2,000, which is obviously like not very much money at all, but um, I quit my job. So at the time I was working as general manager at ITSU and everybody felt that I should be really grateful because I was the youngest GM and, you know, in, yeah. in some respects I was doing well, but I just remember thinking like ITSU is a really entrepreneur, entrepreneurial company. It's, I love sushi. I mean, it, that was a great perk eating it every day, but I just remember <laughs> feeling lost. Like how on earth did I end up working for a sushi company? Like I always wanted to be a presenter. Um, I did work experience for BBC Radio Cumbria as a teenager um, I, I was on my local, uh, my university radio show and I was like, how have I ended up here? So I quit with £2,000 in the bank and I did this TV presenting course where you normally get this like god awful showreel at the end of it. And I was like, right, I've got a month and a half to make it work with my £2,000. So I'm just going to get going. And um, I sent it to every production company and 
um, tried to get a presenting job. I think I even like pitched to, you know, do really ambitious things like, hey, I see you've got Holly Willoughby presenting this morning. I think I could do it better. <laughs> yeah. uh, and um, anyway, that was when um, I got invited to do Made in Chelsea. And even though in my gut, I always knew that I never really wanted to do reality TV, which I think was a problem because it kind of made me like semi ashamed of it rather than like fully embracing the experience. But I couldn't kind of believe my luck that within five days of quitting my job and doing this course, I'd kind of been offered a show. So I was like, wow, I'm going to get an agent. I'm going to kind of be famous. Like what fame brings happiness and money and security and all of these things that you think fame brings. And you kind of, I guess it was this like glamorous world that I was entering into. And it was actually like the beginning of one of the hardest times of my life like in terms of finances and self-confidence body dysmorphia relationship stress just everything so um yeah I think the bill I got so built up that the fall was kind of monumental and talk to me about the fall um so the fall I basically surprising to some people that like you don't actually make a lot of money off doing a reality TV show. It's all the kind of outside things that you make money from. So because I had to always be available to film at their request, I couldn't really have any other job. And obviously I only had this 2000 pounds in my account and I had a really nice flat. So I ended up having to move out of London and with a friend in Surrey. And it was like, I almost had imposter syndrome that I was on this TV show that was, you know, all about the kind of rich, wealthy people. And I was <laughs> having to like <laughs> trek from my friend's house in Surrey. And he was a rugby player and he'd train in Richmond. So he'd drive to Richmond and I'd actually walk into London because like really bad moments. I couldn't even afford to get the tube. Um, so I just kind of felt like a bit of an imposter. And I think because I started that show on my own and in series four, which it was still a very new show, people on it were still a bit apprehensive about kind of welcoming new people. And because yes. there was only me, I didn't come in with a group of friends. It was very hard to kind of assert my position. And I just, I was such a people pleaser. I just always thought that if you were nice, people would automatically like you. And they, they just didn't basically. And um, like looking back, it actually makes me so sad that I, I, I just felt like really isolated. And I think sometimes when you feel that it, you almost self perpetuate it because you know that then you, you're not confident and you don't go up and chat. So then everyone's like, who's the weirdo in the corner? And it kind of <laughs> is this weird yeah. cycle. And then I found the fame thing really hard. And I think a lot of it was kind of, my inner misogyny from going to an all boys school that because there was a lot of slut shaming and, um, you know, not just from the boys, but from the teachers. And, um, I'd always been made to feel like you had to choose like between beauty and brains and I chose brains. And, um, I, you know, I guess I was like very judgmental of women basically that expressed themselves and dressed up and wore makeup and I think a lot of that was because I was bullied for it when I was a teen so it was almost like I went into survival mode and was like oh yeah who wants to do that so then when I kind of started this showbiz world and it was so down to how you looked and I remember I had a, like an agent at the time um who was like you need to wear more makeup you need to get a stylist you need to look more attractive basically and I I've just never had to like focus on that side of things so much and it ended up like giving me a, not an eating disorder but like really bad body dysmorphia that I'd have panic attacks before going out in public and um I think my self-esteem just kind of like like plummeted because I felt like I had to be perfect you know I had to like give off this perception that I was like rich and loving this whole life and um, I think as well, when you kind of start into a world like that, you attract a lot of maybe like the wrong type of men because they see you on TV and, um, you know, they want you in it. I don't know. I, I mean, basically towards the end of it, when I walked away, I, I was at a point where on my worst day, I thought about suicide and I was going to do it. But luckily a friend rang me and we ended up having lunch and sh like, she didn't know that she probably like saved my life that day. And that was, um, 
yeah, that was kind of like the end of that chapter and kind of like the very long process of trying to feel happy, which is hard. It's, you know, it's funny when people say like, oh, cheer up or look on the bright side or all of those things. But when you feel depressed or suicidal, like you almost feel like a burden. Um, but it's amazing that, you know, 10 years later, I'm in a completely different position and I guess it just shows that if you are kind of experiencing darkness if you start doing the work it might feel so far away but you do get there. So how did you start that journey? Um, so I think the first thing I did was um, go see a psychic because I think sometimes you know you kind of want someone to tell you that things will yeah. be okay <laughs> and course. I think like you know, a lot of people are quite skeptical of psychics and I've seen a few in my time and I think you can tell the ones that are totally milking it and you're like, mm, not sure about that. Yeah, totally. Um, but it's the ones I find that are like, is there someone in your name, in your, like someone beginning with like Paul, is it? And you're like, I don't know any Pauls. They're like, just hold on to it. It might come to you. There's definitely a Paul somewhere. I'm like, there's just not a Paul. I know. Oh my gosh. And this lady, I've actually listened to it back and it was really good like you know there's a lot that wasn't right but regardless of you know whether you believe it or not she kind of gave me like a something to hold on to for the future um and then you know I I kept kind of reading different self-help books and I kept um sounds silly but like writing to-do lists and writing like little goals like five-year plans and stuff freaked me out because I think you know things can change along the way but just like weekly goals so every Monday being like I'm gonna have a really good week it's gonna be better than next like it's gonna be better than last week this is what I want to do and also I think I stopped kind of playing the fame game which was never really my like it never made me happy in the first place. It was kind of what my agent or my old agents were telling me I should do. And I just thought, no, it's actually distracting because I'm... What do you mean by the fame game? Um, you know, like dressing up in clothes that I wouldn't wear, worrying about who else was doing what, rather than focusing on what I could do and thinking, well, I actually don't care about fame as such because as we all know it comes and goes like how many of us have watched a tv show five years ago and someone's you know the biggest most loved person and five years later you know you you don't care about them anymore and that's that's just how fame works and I think I kind of almost got lost in thinking okay well if I if I stay relevant and if I go to these things and oh what's over there how how did she get that I want to do that and you kind of get distracted that you know presenting was always the goal so actually fame is a byproduct and yes you know the more your profile grows the more opportunities that come your way but equally I think you can get lost in it and you you know you see people kind of being pictured going out every night and it's like well that's not actually helping the career side of your job at all and um yes yeah, so I think it was just like kind of refinding focus and also realizing that um, being famous doesn't always equal wealth and wealth certainly doesn't always equal happiness. And because I grew up in a household where, I mean, I was really lucky. I won a scholarship to boarding school and I was super privileged, but my parents always had two jobs and I always felt like we didn't have money because everything they earned went on education, which, you know, as an adult, you can appreciate that. But as a child, you just know that you're not going on holiday and wearing all the clothes your friends are wearing. So all of my stresses growing up, I was like, it's money, it's money. The moment you're rich, you'll be happy. And then, you know, I was hanging out with all these like wildly wealthy people and being like, oh my God, they're so miserable. <laughs> but, and, um, yeah, so I guess it was just like a long journey and also learning boundaries and kind of getting rid of that notion of, oh, I'm just a hopeless romantic and I'm just loyal. You know, it's not my fault I get my heart broken. It's everyone else's fault. Um, and that was a big thing as well. Yeah, it's like, um, I think a, a massive thing I found is that thing of taking responsibility, of just kind of not making those kind of excuses for yourself. Like I always say to people, watch the language. When you're using language like, it's just who I am or I've always been like that. You know, those are just you giving yourselves excuses for allowing certain behavior or behaving in certain ways to others. 
and actually being able to take responsibility and let go of these kind of old ideas that you've had is a really great way to move forward totally and I think it's so easy to become a victim you know like it might be something that happened in your childhood it might be something with family it might be that you keep attracting emotionally unavailable people or you, you might keep getting like walked all over and it's really easy to start blaming everyone else and I don't think it's ever your fault that bad things happen to you but you can certainly learn to prevent those things from continuing to happen to you absolutely couldn't agree more but I think it takes a real uh it can be quite a hard pill to swallow like I I remember the first time I kind of said to myself okay my unhappiness is my responsibility now and I have to stop blaming other people or situations um, or with men kind of going okay actually I've allowed myself to be treated in this way that's really hard for you to do for anyone to do in terms of like your ego wants to resist you doing that it wants to blame others and it doesn't want you to take responsibility but when you do it's so liberating totally I went to go see this absolutely wacky um brilliant healer in Bali it was like my first solo traveling experience which is another thing that really helped me um but she said to me one of the first things she said I walked in the room and she was like burping and I was like oh god what (laughs) what have I let myself in for and she was like oh it's just all your like anxiety and your negative energy I'm just trying to release some of it for you so I was like right okay and she said I just want to let you know that giving is an ego you need to get over your ego because you think that you're so nice and you keep giving 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 and she said but you're doing it because you want people to like you (gasps) oh babe I honestly oh I feel like we have so many parallels I literally sorry carry on (laughs) yeah no but I was just like what how can giving giving is like you know if you're kind and in you know in morality or anything you're meant to give you're meant to give and she was like, no, because you're you're giving, but you're exhausted because you're wanting it back and then you're getting let down and then you're like, oh, I give more than other people. I always get my heart broken. You know, you sound a bit like Eeyore in Winnie the Pooh. Like, and so therefore you're not giving because it doesn't come from like an altruistic place. It comes from a place of like, look what I've given you. Please love me. Yes. Um, and I thought that was the most like life-changing bit of advice. And it's so hard as a giver or as someone that's too nice to kind of reassert your boundary, maybe not even reassert, just learn to have boundaries and realize that you can still be nice and giving without kind of losing yourself in the process. I love that. That's such good advice, I think, for anybody listening that feels that. Because I think it is a really a common problem. I mean, I definitely... I really I've been I've been exploring a lot recently this idea about this need to be liked um and some people don't kind of resonate with it and don't really have it but I but I know a lot of people do and I for sure have this need to be liked Mm -hmm. like and I'm definitely trying to understand um how easy I find it to sort of like you say exhaust yourself by giving but really fundamentally it's coming from this like deep desire to be liked by people um and so those are that's actually those are really good tips that you've given in terms of um setting boundaries around it and something that someone said to me the other day was um when you're trying to counteract that is to be able to receive so um I don't know if you had this but I would have this thing where if someone does something nice for me I feel like I have to do something nice back tenfold um and it's actually going you can receive niceness without having with by and just going thank you so much and receiving it rather than then having to go over and above and be even nicer so that you're liked (laughs) yeah it's so funny. The, do you know what the biggest thing, the the big, the best thing I ever do, did, because I was the biggest people pleaser. The best thing I ever did was live with Anne Widdicombe for four weeks <laughs> because <laughs> that lady does not give a shit if she's liked or not. And I remember, so I didn't just go move in with her randomly. I did um, celebrity Big Brother Year of the Woman, and she just didn't like me, and it 
it, I, I couldn't deal with it because also I was I was people pleasing on a whole different level on that show because you, you're kind of praying that the public like you, play, praying that the people inside oh like you God, so they don't nominate so you. Anxious. Yeah, so you're kind of on like people pleasing overdrive, and and was just like really horrible to me. And I remember like one night I got a bit tipsy and I literally just followed her around and I was like. Why don't you like me? Why don't you like me? Have you stereotyped me? Do you think I'm not intelligent? And just tell me why you like me to the point that she like got into bed and put her earplugs in and I was still like tapping her shoulder. <laughs> and um, the next day we had this chat. And by the way, bear in mind, this is somebody who's polit- politically on the opposite end of the spectrum to me. So the fact that I cared so much about her liking me just kind of shows with people pleasing sometimes we might not even like the person we're trying to make like us oh, that's <laughs> and so true. anyway she just said to me like do me a favor Ashley she's like the reason I find it difficult to be around you is because you're you just care so much about what other people think you're almost fake and I was like what I'm not fake I'm myself she was like no but she was like you're scared to have opinions and she was like that's what makes people like people or dislike people but she was like wouldn't you rather be yourself and have people dislike you but you can like hold your head up high and at least be disliked for standing up for what you believe in whatever that is and she was like do me a favor just promise me you're going to try and be less sensitive and that really stuck with me because I was like oh my god it's so true because Sometimes when you, you you really want people to like you and they don't, you're like, but I've done everything for them. I've, I don't know, given them lifts or bought them flowers or whatever it is and they still don't like me. Whereas if, you know, you have an opinion and you say what you believe in, people might not like it. And it, it is a bit hard to get used to, but you can be like, oh, well, like they're obviously not my type of person. I think that is such amazing advice. How long did it take you, do you reckon? So, Because I always think when you hear something that really, like, I don't know, it's like a little nugget of wisdom that really opens something up in you or makes you think about something differently. How long did it take you to then really start putting that into practice, to go from this, like, place in Celebrity Big Brother, um, doing this, being, like, like you say, people-pleasing in overdrive to a place of being able to be what I've just described you as, which is someone that's so authentic and open and real? Um... I'd say definitely within the first like six months of leaving Big Brother, I started to get used to the idea of strangers not liking me. So, you know, going on TV shows like Good Morning Britain, Jeremy Vine and discussing topical, you know, whatever's going on in the news. um, It's kind of like, okay, well, I went on there and it could be, for example, I talked about how I think single women should have the right to have IVF on there. NHS and I really believe that and I've got friends that are you know desperate to be mothers at 40 who just haven't met someone and I think you know they should be allowed the same rights as couples or if they were to have had a one-night stand and you know they get NHS support so why can't single women who know they'll be good mums so I know that I think I think these days we call them the gammons, don't we? You know, like the the, the Twitterati that come out whenever you're slightly liberal. <laughs> Twitterati, <laughs> usually with like bald heads and a Union Jack flag next to their name. Um, and I was like, Do you know what? I actually don't care what these people think because that's my opinion. And having an opinion isn't bad. Like it's bad if you act on a really awful opinion. But having an opinion, like we all have them. They're not facts. They're not anything they're just what we believe in and if someone doesn't believe in something as fundamental as that then they're probably not my type of person however I also protect myself that I don't go looking for people to not like me so I probably will avoid Twitter that day or I if I'm on the mail online I I won't read the comments section or you know if I'm also if I'm having a bad mental health day I probably won't look at the comments or my dms on Instagram because if someone says something bad to you when you're kind of feeling strong, as we all know, you can take it. But if you're having a bit of a bad day and you wake up and you check your phone and someone says something horrible, like it can really, <laughs> it can really burn you. And that's still the case now. But I think where I found it hardest was learning that maybe people around me might not like me and accepting that. And I kind of realized that I had a lot of friends in my life who actually just really didn't like me. <laughs> like, you know, they'd, they'd always be put downs. So or if you 
shared ambitions, they'd kind of like keep knocking you down. And I found that really difficult because even though I knew I had to like break out of those kind of toxic relationships, nobody, you know, we talk a lot about how to get over breakups, but we don't talk a lot about how to get over friendships. Um, and also kind of building boundaries that I knew I needed to start saying no to certain people or certain things. And even to friends that I did like, I was like, no, I'm giving too much. You know, I've got no time for myself and learning to say no. And a lot, a lot of people, when you put boundaries in, don't like it at first because, you know, we all love naturally to take, you know, if we can, if we know we can get a lift, why would we walk? And I, and if there's a lot of people in our lives giving us lifts, even though we know we can probably walk, we don't want to suddenly walk. So we kind of react. Um, but it does feel like very liberating once you get to the point where you can just not care if you're liked or not. Yeah. It just opens up so much mental space for all the other amazing things that are in your life already. Yeah. And also what I've learned is probably the same amount of people didn't like me as when I was people pleasing. So it's kind of nice that I'm like, okay, well, at least now they don't like me for me as opposed to the me that I was trying to be to please everyone. And like, even I didn't know who me was because I would be like a chameleon depending on which group of people I was with. (laughs) Yeah, totally. And I think also what's really interesting is it's like when people think about um, being able to kind of release that need to be liked by everyone and be a people pleaser they sometimes they think that the other side of it is becoming really like obnoxious or really loudly opinionated and like that that's how you have to be to seem like you don't give a fuck but actually it's not that at all it's somewhere it's actually something that's totally internal isn't it it's just a feeling within you it's not being um trying to be provocative that's not the antithesis of people pleasing is actually just being able to sit in a space where um, you do things just because you want to do them and it is almost as simple as that yeah and you can still be like nice and polite I, I was speaking to someone the other day about you know she said to me when you're when you're seeing someone like she was like I'm too nice I'm too nice in relationships and I always get my heart broken so I don't want to not be nice. I don't want to like become hard and cold to the world. And I was like, but that's not what you have to become. And, you know, it's like in the dating scene, you don't have to meet someone and think, well, he's obviously a prick. So I'll let him prove otherwise. Like you can go into things being nice and being open to love, but just knowing that if they cross a line, you can say like, that that's actually not cool with me. And that doesn't make you a psycho. And it, you know, it doesn't have to be an argument. It doesn't have to be aggressive. It doesn't have to be cold. It's just learning that I don't tolerate that. And I can still be polite and I can still be nice, but I'm also not going to, you know, I used to, guys used to treat me awfully and I'd be like, oh, well, I still want them to like me or I'll still be their friend. And it's like, why? Why was I trying to be someone's friend that didn't even want to like, you know, I, I, God, I had it with so many guys. Like one guy I booked a hotel and he didn't turn up and made some awful excuse. And so I booked another one and he didn't turn up again. And that's not me being nice. That's me being a mug. <laughs> um, and I still wanted to be his friend at the end of it. And it's like he clearly showed me that he wasn't nice. And the nicest thing I could have done for myself was to be like, look, you obviously have other things going on. He always had the perfect excuse. And so I was trying to be understanding because I was nice, but actually I should have been like, look, that's a totally valid reason. And I, I get that you've got that going on, but it's actually not going to work for me because I, 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 I don't like being let down. And so you're still nice, yeah, but you're, you're just not putting up with it. Yeah, it's, I love that. It's so funny. I do think about this whole thing of being like the word like nice. I think, I think when you're younger, you associate nice with like weakness. And I also think there's been generally a shift in kind of in like society. Because if you think, okay, let's say like take our industry or like PR, for example. Do you remember like 10, 5, 10 years ago, there was like PR bitches. That was like what it was called. And and the top PRs were the really hard nosed, like ruthless. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, very devil wears Prada. Yes, whereas now that just wouldn't fucking stick. Like people don't want to work with people who aren't nice. And I definitely think that 
that being kind was something that I used or like being a nice person was something that I felt really embarrassed by but that now I think is like my superpower and I think there has been a real shift in that and I've actually had a client just yesterday saying the exact same thing about she was like I think I'm too nice and I just want to you know with men and when I'm dating and I definitely just want to be a bit like cooler I was like hell no being nice is incredible like if someone doesn't want to be with you because they don't like nice people I'm pretty sure it's them that's the person you don't want to be with 100% and I think especially for women there's this kind of like I had it on Maiden Chelsea loads of people kept saying that I was fake because I was too nice and I remember ringing my friend Jazz who's my best friend from uni being like I need to be more of a bitch because people think I'm fake how can I be less how can how I be can less nice and also there's all these books like why men prefer bitches so I remember being like well for me to get the guy I'm going to be a bitch and it's so like no that's, that's not it that's not it it's just about being be kind like being kind is one of the most amazing things in the world you know and like who wants to go out with some you know man or woman none of us want to be with someone unkind and none of us want friends around us that are unkind and if your kindness makes people think that you're fake then you know that's on them (laughs) bye say hello to a new era of mental health care cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support 100% online you'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Normally being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Baffled, a brand new podcast bringing you some amazing facts that are complete nonsense. Imagine the likes that would get on Instagram, you having a quick one up a lamppost on the moon, incredible. (laughs) You basically (laughs) saying the reason the dinosaurs stopped living is because they all collectively made a decision to have no more children. I think until 10 years ago, I I still shared the bathwater that my parents were in. You can find us wherever you got this podcast. Just search for Baffled Amazing Facts. What is your second defining moment? I'm going to say it sounds like a massive cliche, sorry in advance, but I'm going to say that my second defining moment is when I decided to go solo traveling. (gasps) Love that. Not cliche at all. (laughs) When did you do that? Um, so I first went in um, Christmas 2014. Um, I was kind of just going through a breakup. That was my first one that was like all over the press. Um, it's quite high profile. And I just felt like very trapped. Like I couldn't speak my truth because um, I didn't obviously want the, like I, I didn't want to talk to the press obviously because then it would make me look like I was trying to cash in on this relationship or something. But because there was so much false rumors or speculation I just felt very silenced and lost and also heartbroken so 
Um, the first time I went was, yeah, Bali for eight days in December 2014. But the more defining one that I want to talk about is I went to Mexico, um, I think about three years ago now on the 1st of September. And um, I booked a one-way flight and it's honestly the best thing I ever did. And one of the reasons I did it, it, it was kind of like the beginning of me coming out of this darkness. Um I, I was in a real like funk with, you know, attracting the wrong type of men again and again and again to the point that I just felt like I had nothing left. <laughs> um, and I was so, I was like, I just knew things needed to change. I had kind of had a bit of a toxic friendship. Um, I just knew that I wasn't happy and some I needed to do something. And also I, I felt like, which I feel like a lot of us feel like that, most of my friends were in relationships and I didn't have a boyfriend or anybody that I could go on trips with or to restaurants with. And I remember feeling like when I get a boyfriend, I can't wait to travel. When I get a boyfriend, I can't wait to go to nice restaurants. When I get a boyfriend, I can't wait to do this. And I remember thinking like, why am I waiting for this person that is fictional (laughs) to start doing what I want to do? Like that's ridiculous. Ridiculous, and I think so many of us do that. So I just booked this flight, um, and I remember when the day came, I was absolutely terrified. I was like, "Oh my god, what have I done? Like, what am I going to do in Mexico on my own?" And obviously, everybody likes to scaremonger you, don't they? So they're like, "Oh, be careful of the narcos in Mexico. <laughs> it's going to be unsafe." And they tell you, you know, you're you're mad. You are you sure you don't want to like cancel it? And I was like, "No, no." My gut instinct told me I need to book this trip I'm listening to my gut I got on the plane I deleted all my social media and I'd also got into a really terrible habit of playing Candy Crush which is just the most like ridiculous game because it just like it's so addictive but you're you sit there and you're like I'm just wasting my life (laughs) like (laughs) what am I doing so I deleted it all and I remember on the plane I kept going to reach for my phone and I was like there's nothing here there's literally nothing on it like so I was like like, it took me a good three days of just like picking it up and then having to put it back down and it was almost like going cold turkey with social media and games and it was just amazing because going solo traveling was the first time that I'd kind of been totally out of my comfort zone so even though I'd always thought I was like really loud really confident really sociable put me on my own I remember seeing like groups of like young people being like oh they look cool and I remember being like just go talk to them Ashley go talk to them and I couldn't do it and I was so shy and I think I did it really pathetically on the second day where I like pretended to drop a spoon at the buffet so one of them picked it up for me so I was like oh thanks what's your name and I was like <laughs> you're, pa- you're pathetic um but it was it's just so interesting and you know I think separating myself from the kind of toxic things I was addicted to and meeting people where you're not next to somebody that knows you already. So, you know, you don't, you, I don't know, you, you can just be whoever you want to be. And that might not even be your authentic self. And I think that's the beauty of it. You can kind of like play different roles and figure out which one makes you happiest in a way. <laughs> yeah, and, I love that. Um, you know, leave like you leave with no excuses when you don't want to hang out with them anymore like okay I'm just gonna go to the next town now nice to meet you bye um like you don't even need to make up an excuse um and I think that was the first time that I actually after I think at that point I'd been single for four years the first time that I kind of changed my perspective and stopped kind of waiting for someone to come and pick me off my pick me up and but it's, what's the phrase put me on my feet sweep me, well, me off my feet and realize that I could stand on my own two feet and not have to wait for someone and start kind of living the life that I wanted yeah. there and then oh I I love that I think it, there is so much don't there's also it reminds me of that thing that people say when they're like I'll do this when I'm thin enough yeah so people put like ideas in place of I'll do this when so it's like either I'll do this when I'm in a relationship or I'll do this when I'm thinner I'll do this when I'm richer I'll do this when I'm happier um and actually it's just going just fucking do it now (laughs) 
Yeah, and I think the problem is when you have those goalposts, they always move. And, you know, being pregnant now, I look back at pictures of myself from three years ago when I was like too embarrassed or didn't think I had a good enough body yet to wear like crop tops or whatever it was. And I was like, oh my God, my, my body was actually perfect. Like what on earth was I like I should have I, oh my god I should have never mind crop tops I should have like gone to that event naked like damn <laughs> I, look, I look great but and I think that just shows that it's our minds that are the problem it's not the way we look it's you know it's not our relationship status it's not anything other than our mindset and it, you know solo traveling isn't even a money thing because I stayed in hostels like one of the, like one of the hostels I spent the most time at was on the beach and it was like three pounds a night like you know you, you can travel with whatever money that you have like you know it's it's just like a really liberating feeling and also like especially living in London and kind of being in this industry like it's I find it quite easy to get swept up by like the kind of material things whether that's oh, I, I need this pair of shoes or I need this wallpaper in my house or I need this makeup, Charlotte Tilbury makeup, whatever it might be. And you get so swept up in things that you need, but actually like, you know, you go traveling and you don't really care about any of that. And if anything, all the material stuff kind of is heavy to carry around and also might get you robbed. So yeah. <laughs> it's kind of like a disadvantage. It's such a good um, lesson to learn. Yeah, so um, that was definitely like the defining moment in me starting to see my relationship status not as like a negative thing and not as something that was wrong with me. But I was like, okay, cool, let's figure out who Ashley is because I like you, I don't need someone to come along to tell me who I am. I can, you know, start figuring this out on my own. I want to go solo traveling. I'm like, oh my god, do I'm it. like, it's the best. oh my god, I wish. I literally am just like sat here thinking about being on a beach in Mexico, just like, ah. Oh. <laughs> yeah, me too. Um, it's really interesting what you're saying about this whole idea of wealth and uh, fame and just this I think this common theme of like thinking that these things will make you happy and then coming to points in your life where you realise that they don't and I remember when I was 21 and I dated someone that was very very wealthy and I remember at that point thinking this is a really unique experience that I could have anything in the world that I wanted in terms of material goods there's nothing really that I couldn't have right now and I'm not happy. And I, I remember really like the specific moment of just having that realization and going, this is the best lesson I've, I'll ever learn because I'm in this position, this like unique position to have that opportunity. But that also means I can see for myself in this moment that money and material possessions don't buy you happiness. And I really did take that with me for the rest of my life. And I'm like so happy I had that lesson. It's amazing because I, I do think, you know, I think we, we all look at on Instagram or, you know, in the press or whatever it is. And we look at people who have seemed to have it all and we're like, how can they not be happy? They have everything. But what is everything? And I've started um, seeing a happiness coach. So um, I just felt like lockdown kind of threw me out of sync a bit. So even though I'm training to be a coach, I just felt like, okay, I need some guidance. And especially when I found out I was pregnant, I was like, I'm going to invest in a personal trainer and a happiness coach because I want to be like mentally and physically strong for myself, but also for when I bring this baby into the world, I don't want to be on like stress mode because I don't want to be like reacting unnecessarily to anything that happens. And this lady that I'm seeing, she studied happiness uh, for 15 years. And it's amazing because, she, you know, she, she's done all these studies and research around happiness. And um, she was saying so that 50% of your happiness is genetic, which might be frightening if, you know, your family aren't exactly like the most positive <laughs> people in the world. But only 10% of your happiness is through circumstance. So money, promotions, marriage, whatever it might be that you think will make you happy, a designer handbag. And she said also that happiness only gives you a very short-term pleasure, which is why your goalposts are always moving or once you get the bag, you know, you might love it for a week or two or a month, but then you want the new bag that's come out. And all, and that, that also means that breakups 
and all of the things that make you sad only make you sad temporarily. And she said the four, extra 40% of your happiness comes from shifting your perspective and training this part of your brain through mindfulness and gratitude and breath work that she said like monks in Thailand had their brain studied and they have like a larger, I can't remember what part of the brain it's called. And it's from just practicing these basic things and that's so free and since I've started doing it I've worked with her a few months now like my happiness is so different and I'm not in any different position circumstantially but I rain used to ruin my day like I felt like I was one of those people that I was like why do I live in England the weather's awful I I suffer from sad I can only be happy in the sunshine and now I mean don't get me wrong, I still prefer it when it's sunny and I still kind of get a pang of dread at the thought of like dark nights and winter. But I can still see the beauty of things. Like a bit of rain doesn't ruin my entire day anymore. And it's it's like a really amazing thing. I love, I mean, I could not agree more. And I think she, you know, it's absolutely right. The perspective, your perspective is really kind of at the basis of, of happiness. And I do believe that, 100% you can retrain your brain you just have to strengthen those uh, like kind of neural pathways to help you to focus on the good and that's why I always encourage people to do positivity journals every night so I always say within about three weeks or two weeks of doing it you'll see a massive shift so I'd like to do it or I definitely advise all my clients to do it and because I did it myself and it works is that you do it in chronological order so you write a positivity journal every night but you write down everything that happened that was good from the first thing that that happened when you woke up throughout the day so things like um, the sun was shining when I woke up or the barista making my coffee smiled at me or I had a phone call from a friend or like every single good thing that happened and then what happens is your mind literally just starts to look for all the good and so all these things that you would have otherwise forgotten you suddenly remember and I always think at the end of a day like let's say you had two hours in a day which were really shit okay like something really annoying happened you felt really stressed and you can end up getting to bed and just being like today was such a bad day but actually it wasn't a bad day it was just a bad two hours so being able to write these positivity journals to remind yourself of all the other good you can start to absolutely reprogram your mind like I used to be so unhappy all the time I never thought I would be this like an what like annoyingly positive person like I'm always <laughs> looking at the bright side and I just I just never thought I would get there but it is just because I retrained my brain to be that way and really any anyone can anyone can do it it's not like you, it's not something difficult like you just have to be committed to it yeah, and I think that's amazing, isn't it? Like the fact that you don't even need money just to write down positives. Like, it, you know, especially when, you know, we look at Instagram or whatever it is and see it kind of like this consumerism or materialism that you think that, oh, I need that to be happy or why don't I have that? Or look what she's got or look at their holiday. But actually, like, yeah, gratitudes and positive yeah. thinking like is just amazing. Pleasures. Like if you think about like the moments that you're your happiest, re- really they're always just with people that you love or just doing something really simple, like going on a walk or being with your family or being with your child or laughing with your friends. Like those are the moments mm-hmm. where you're most happy and you don't need anything for that except people that you love around you. Yeah, it's amazing. So what is your third defining moment? So my third and final defining moment, I'm going to semi-squeeze two into one, but I think I think it's fair to say they're connected. And that would be uh, meeting my now boyfriend and finding out that I am pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us. Tell us the story. Um, so basically, when I met my boyfriend, Tommy, um. I got to a point where I'd been single for so long and really loving it. And I had all the, you know, my social life was kind of in the house. Like if I wasn't DJing, that was work. And I, to be honest, never really took my headphones off. Um, I, I just threw all these like house parties and dinner parties with all my girlfriends. And I had this like really empowering, amazing group of 
friends and I just never ever ever looked outside for dating and so when I entered my sixth year of being single which was um kind of towards the end of last year um I thought you know what people say that you'll find someone when you're not looking but I've been so not looking that unless someone like falls out of a plane, lands in my patio and happens to be the love of my life, like I will not meet someone. So I really need to start giving this whole online dating thing a go. And I'd had a real, should I say love hate relationship with it or just like hate (laughs) relationship with it? I'm not sure, but I'd always get the apps and kind of flick through for a bit and kind of be like, well, how on earth do you know? Like, if you look at my dating history, like, there isn't really a physical type. And I was like, how on earth are you? Like, everybody looks shit in two dimension. With You know, I, I was like, what? And I'd kind of, like, swipe. And then I'd go off it for a few weeks. Then I'd go back on and realize that I'd start conversations with people. And then I'd kind of have to, make, you know, be like, oh, I'm really sorry. I haven't been on here for a while. And the whole thing just felt... Um, rubbish I felt like I was being rubbish and like the kind of person that you don't want to meet at the beginning of dating who like blows hot and cold um so anyway I was just scrolling through and I um saw Tommy who I used to work with him um 10 years ago before you know I and I quit my job so we actually did a graduate scheme together at Abercrombie and Fitch um and so because I recognized him, that's how we start chatting. And I was at my friend Lila Parsons' house for a roast. So he said that he'd come and meet me and take me out for a date. And actually he had planned to have a roast and I'd literally just come down from Lila's having a roast. And I had, didn't have the heart to say that I'd eaten. So I ended up having two roasts that <laughs> day. So sweet. And um, we just like hit it off straight away and there was like no games on either side. It, it was just easy. And I think because there was that sense of familiar, familiar, I can't even say Always the word. Always gets me that word. I've, it's actually got me oh, on an really episode. <laughs> familiar. <laughs> oh, fuck. <laughs> I got <what> you mean. <laughs> <laughs> however, however we say it. And um, so I guess quite quickly I entered into a relationship, but one that I felt was healthy for the first time. And that's not because, you know, Prince Charming came along and it was perfect. It's because I felt for the first time that I'd worked on myself to be in control, like to communicate red flags. If, you know, anything I didn't like, I'd be like, oh, this doesn't sit right with me. When you did that, when you said that, I didn't like that. And it made me feel this way as opposed to in the past being like, I don't want him to think I'm a psycho. So I'm just going to let that one slide. And, um, you know, just listening to myself and being myself and not letting myself obsess and, you know, look at wedding dresses and plan our whole life together on date two, even though I have no intention of getting married, like silly things that we just seem to do, or at least I did. Um, but also it was a defining moment because it really made me realize that I'd kind of built my whole existence on being single like being the single person like look how great being single is so actually when I entered a relationship I felt like I was like betraying myself and betraying my audience and betraying the people around me because suddenly I wasn't the single person and I was kind of doing what other people did not what I did so it's kind of like really hard to get my head around that change in my life and I was like how can I still inspire and help people being single when I'm I've betrayed them like I'm not in the club anymore yeah. <laughs> um and so then when we found out that we were having a baby it was kind of you know pretty much right at the beginning of lockdown um wasn't planned I just lost um obviously there's no DJ gigs and stuff at the moment where that's where most of my earnings were he moved in at the start of lockdown kind of through we kind of had this conversation where he was at my house and Boris Johnson announced lockdown and I'd always said I will never live with someone I don't agree with it I think you should have your own independent space they have their independent space it's not healthy and I guess a lot of that was so in a way like over independence because I have like trauma from an experience of living with someone so suddenly he was living with me and I was like oh my god I'm losing myself how long have you been together at this point um so we got together properly beginning of November but we like became official you know he asked me to be his girlfriend or rather I forced him to ask me to be his girlfriend (laughs) on on New Year's Eve so it was very like pretty early on 
And I was just really like conflicted with kind of all the really strong independent stuff. And I, I still believe that stuff, but a lot of it for me was actually just trauma and defense mechanism. Um, so yeah, obviously he moved in because, well, he did lockdown. And it was just a really defining moment to me to be like confronted with all of these changes and all of these things that had kind of like contradicted the person I'd built myself up to be even having children you know I was ne- I was never maternal like I never thought about oh I hope I meet someone so I can have children like I always kind of preferred dogs to people's <laughs> babies if I'm honest <laughs> like um so yeah I, I think you know it was great because it kind of showed that because I'd done all the work around communication and also recognizing that I can be toxic too you know we always see these memes about go away, get away from toxic people and avoid toxicity. But like we can all be toxic and we all have like things that make us turn into brats or make us sulk or whatever our triggers are, you know, and it's kind of, I was really triggered by having a boyfriend. I was really triggered by someone living with me and it was trying to like dissociate the fact from like, is that my issue or is that him? And obviously a lot of it was like my issues from, past experiences so um now we're in this like amazingly strong place and have a baby on the way (laughs) and so I feel like life's kind of 360 from what I said at the beginning where this time last year I'd you know lost my passport drunk and a bit lost trying to chase some guy that wasn't interested in me and feeling like I was just always going to be the like single person with no children on my radar at all so it's kind of just shows yeah that if you do the work and even to think from 10 years ago you know being that kind of very unhappy suicidal little girl (laughs) that started out in this world um yeah so I guess it's like you know I I feel like we're not proud of ourselves enough and I feel like Mm. this year with a pandemic and everything else I I just feel like really proud of how I've handled it and how my learned perspective has allowed me to deal with all the huge and you know some of them immensely Mm. positive changes oh I honestly I feel like I have just been on like the most like beautiful journey with you this conversation I I'm I, I am so impressed with you as a person um I think you're so insightful I think you are so um willing and able to own things own your own shit like um to take responsibility to make commitment to self-development um to help others and I think you're going to be such a fantastic coach that's so exciting that you're training and I think you're that's absolutely the right thing for you and I think the fact that you're able to have I've had so many um, full and rich and hard and challenging experiences will only mean that you can um, really relate to so many people who are going through them. Um, so, yeah, I, I honestly, do you know, I have this funny feeling in this conversation. I'm kind of going, I have this funny feeling that like we haven't even scratched the surface with you. I'm like, I bet you there's like 10 more moments we could go through because I just feel like you've had such a like, I don't know. I just I'm really fascinated by your story. And um, I definitely feel like there's loads of parallels um, between us. It, it, be interesting it'd be interesting to like do it again this time next year and see what happens in I'm a year. definitely gonna get you back on I've actually not said that before in a show but I'm gonna get you back on because I feel like there's so much more I could do with you like yeah I just really I am a big big fan of yours so um just and I think also you know what you were saying that people are so scared of transformation and Um, reinventing themselves and I think when you touched on that just saying that you were kind of worried about letting people down because you you had been a champion of being single and then you changed to not being single and I think it's so easy to kind of put ourselves in boxes and label ourselves a certain ways even if those aren't bad labels or bad boxes Um, but actually 
even who you are now is not who you're going to be in a year and in a year after that and allowing yourself to constantly evolve I think it's like such an amazing form of self-love definitely 100% Sorry, I feel like I yabbed a lot there um, <laughs> no it's amazing thank you so much Ashley again and look I'm just wishing you all the best of luck on your journey into motherhood and I can't wait oh, to see you. all the advice you give others on that journey too amazing thank you so much for having me on and hopefully we'll uh, be able to see each other face to face and have I a would date love soon. that I really would Botox Cosmetic out of botulinum toxin A FDA approved for over 20 years so talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you for full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. Confidence starts with loving who you are. And when your skin feels nourished and glows on the outside, you naturally radiate confidence from the inside. Give your skin a glow up with Osea's clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This ultra-hydrating body care features two of Osea's bestsellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. These seaweed-powered heroes use skincare-level ingredients normally reserved for your face for results you can see and confidence you can feel. Osea has been making clean, clinically proven seaweed-infused face and body care products for over 28 years. This luxurious skincare is vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu.com, code GLOW. Shopify helps you sell at every stage of your business. Like that, let's put it online and see what happens stage. And the site is live. That we opened a store and need a fast checkout stage. Thanks, you're all set. That count it up and ship it around the globe stage. This one's going to Thailand. And that, wait, did we just hit a million orders stage? Whatever your stage, businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for your $1 a month trial at shopify.com slash listen. 